0: Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and this is another edition of our Five Things series. It's a new series that we're going to be bringing you over the course of the new season. It could be five things we learned from a specific match. It could be five things we learned about a specific player. It could be five things about anything. And if I run out of ideas, you might see them reduced to three things, sometimes two things, and sometimes even one thing. Uh, But there you go, brand new series right here on the channel. Uh, And we're going to kick off today with five things we learned about Arsenal in pre-season. So it's going to be an interesting one because we've had a lot of discussion about the pre-season over the course of the last few weeks. We've talked a lot about individual fixtures, individual players, how the team really need to work in terms of moving forward and what we're going to do here is condense that down into five things i think we've learned from what's occurred so far in pre-season not just in terms of the matches we've played but in terms of our transfer activity in terms of the wider picture Uh, so there is plenty to think about plenty to discuss and i've tried to condense it into this uh, list of five i guess uh, so that i can share it with you guys the rain is beating down here in North London. It is a horrible, miserable day. Uh, you can probably hear the rain beating down on the roof. Uh, so, apologize in advance if you can, but that's British weather for you. You wouldn't think it's the middle of August, would you? But it is, and it is absolutely pissing it down. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess we should be used to it by now, but it never ceases to amaze me how bad the English weather is and how unpredictable it can be let's say a few hellos uh, to those of you joining us in the live chat i can see there are plenty of you there hope you guys are all well and of course to those of you who will watch this back or listen to this back via the podcast platforms now i know a lot of you tune in via youtube every single time but if you ever fancy having a listen on the move if you ever just want the audio you can get the exact same content that we bring you here on the youtube channel on all the major podcast stores. it's on Apple Podcast, it's on Spotify, it's on Acast, it's everywhere. Uh, so search for the Chronicles of Aguna on any major podcast store and you will find it. Uh, if you prefer to consume the content in that way, that's not to say I don't want you here on YouTube. Of course I do, but there is another way of consuming it if you prefer. So just wanted to give you guys that maybe don't know that option. Right. Let's get into it then. So uh, five things that we've learned about Arsenal during preseason. And uh, we're going to start off with, of course, number one. And number one is our transfer plans have gone up the Swanee. Now, there's no getting away from that. The longer this window goes on, the more abundantly clear it becomes that this grand plan that Edu and Arteta had devised uh, you know towards the back end of last season leading into the summer has gone tits up right it's not happened they've not been able to execute in the way that they would have hoped they've not been able to get the business done they'd have hoped and that goes for outgoings as well as incomings and actually the fact that we have been so close to or rumored or, or at least willing to be uh you know, or willing to move certain players on, I should say, muddling muddling up my words. The fact that we've been willing to move so many players who still feature so heavily on suggests that actually Arsenal haven't been able to do the business they want. Um, you look at Hector Bayerin, talked about him a little bit earlier on the last podcast, about the fact that he was one that was earmarked for an exit and is now starting the final preseason friendly and probably starts at Brentford on Friday night. You talk about Granite Xhaka, someone we were obviously willing to entertain the idea of leaving you know we we had the discussion roma didn't make the bid and arsenal never at any point during that period came out and squashed that rumor squashed that story it was very much uh, radio silence from the club which suggests they were willing to consider his departure then you look at somebody like ainsley Maitland-Niles as well who has been heavily rumored with an exit a player who wants to play in midfield isn't likely to be afforded that opportunity by Mikel Arteta going forward and has been very vocal in the past about saying if it means he has to get out of here then he will do that and all of a sudden Ainsley niles is playing a part in again our last pre-season friendly of the summer which again suggests that he is I'm not going to say he's going to start at Brentford because I don't think he will but he's still in the manager's thinking so the fact that we've considered moving all these players on but then actually haven't done it and now they're playing football for us and now they're part of our plans moving into the new campaign actually shows that Arsenal's plan that they had on paper which will have included incomings and outgoings has literally gone to shit and they've not been able to execute it and it's largely why we are just days away from the season with many Arsenal fans unhappy and feeling as though there is a lot more business that needs to be done uh let's go over to the comments um you know, you know, we'll park the comments. We'll come back to the comments at the end. Uh, let me give you the five things first. Let me keep the flow going. Uh, so number one, as I say, our transfer plans have gone up the Swanee. And uh, as I say, the longer this window goes on, the more abundantly clear that becomes. Moving on to number two. The fan base are at the end of their tether. There are Arsenal fans out there waiting to pounce on Mikel Arteta, waiting to call for his head. And you can bet your bottom dollar that if Arsenal don't start the season positively, and I know that we've got a couple of really difficult games in match weeks two and three, and that, you know, is something that uh, some Arsenal fans will have sympathy for when it comes to judging Mikel Arteta in the early stages of the season. But there are a lot of fans that won't. There are a lot of fans who are wanting him to be sacked, feel he isn't the right man to take us forward. And I think the fact that you've seen a huge overreaction, the kind of which I don't think we've seen for any other club during pre-season, when their results have maybe been a little bit questionable, suggests that the fans, as I say, are at the end of their tether with Mikel Arteta. And there is no room for error moving forward for the Spaniard. Moving on to number three. Well, we've got too many right-backs. It's as simple as that. Arsenal have too many right-backs at the club. I've touched on Bellerin. I've touched on Maitland-Niles. And I haven't even mentioned Callum Chambers and Cedric Suarez, all of whom are comfortable playing in the right-back position. That is one, two, three, four right-backs at Arsenal Football Club. Yet the fan base's priority is to get in another right-back. Look, I think we can all agree that we can upgrade on those right-backs, that there are better right-backs out there than Bayern, then Cedric, then Chambers, then Maitland-Niles. I think we all accept that. But Mikel Arteta has got his hands tied behind his back on this one because he simply cannot justify spending whatever transfer budget we have available on a right back while we still have four of them at the club. Now there's a good chance a couple of them could leave between now and the end of the window but there is no indication that that is close to happening and therefore for the time being Arsenal have too many right backs and this is a major major problem. Moving on to number four and number four is that we still probably need to add a little bit more variety to add build-up play. I think that Arsenal have become really predictable under Mikel Arteta. Arsenal do pretty well for the most part in building the ball out from the defence and into the midfield. But beyond that, there isn't a great deal of, uh, of penetration when it comes to trying to break down opponents. Now, Why is that? I think that naturally teams give you space in the wider areas. They'd rather defend the width for their penalty area. That is the priority. And I think naturally as teams retreat against us and they do tuck into these narrow shapes, you end up seeing that little bit more space in the wide positions. You see Tierney getting forward. You see Bellerin on the right getting forward and you see our wingers uh, trying to operate in those spaces too. But unfortunately, it's very rare that you're going to score a goal directly from that kind of position, right? You need to pick someone out in the middle. And our opponents at the moment are banking on stopping us uh, when we actually get the ball into the box and looking at the fact that we don't really have much aerial threat and we don't really have much kind of penalty box prowess, if you want to call it that. And they are banking on that and they're preventing us from working in those central areas. They're almost happy to concede that we're going to have the ball in those wide areas and we have become too predictable in that sense. It's why we need another creative midfield player. It's why we need someone who can operate centrally and take some of that creative burden off of Emil Smith-Rowe and hopefully get some more out of the players around him. Now, look, it feels like this is an, this has been an issue, hasn't it, since Mikel Arteta took over, that we've been quite happy and willing to play the ball out to the wide areas and put crosses into the box and we seem to not get people on them i remember there was a point last season when we were talking about how bad things were where we kept referring to those crossing stats how many times arsenal put the ball into the box but it means nothing if you can't get players on the end of those crosses and and you can't subsequently score goals or at least get efforts on target so it's a it's a big problem arsenal for me in their build-up play are too predictable and i'd have hoped that over the summer there would have been some changes there we would have seen a little bit more of a difference and we would have seen uh, a little bit more variety added to the game moving on to number five and this is a positive so i wanted to save it till last because i did want to bring a positive uh, up and it's always good to end on a positive because then you go away in a positive mood but the positive for me one of the biggest positives is that albert sambi lakonga is one hell of a player. What a player he is. Uh, brilliant in terms of his uh, ability on the ball, picks up the right positions, controls the ball excellently, always looking to move the ball forward, playing passes between the lines. And I think looking at Albert Sambi-Laconga, granted it was just in pre-season, I think that he is at a level where he should be, for me anyway, starting ahead of Mohamed Elneny when we travel to Brentford on Friday night. So, Number five, and my positive on the list is Albert Sambi-Laconga. What an absolute baller. Now, I think we've also got to talk about the fact that, you know, I'm wary of jumping to too many conclusions off the back of preseason. But the other thing, I guess, is that while we have kind of noticed some problems and some issues and there are some real concerns, I think that we've kind of, got so bogged down in the fact that we haven't brought in as many players as we'd like and all of that jazz that we've kind of overlooked the fact that Arsenal were much improved in the second half of last season. And I think that's important to remember because we talk a lot about how we need to take the team forward by bringing in this player or bringing in that player, but actually Mikel Arteta's team did improve in the second half of the season. And Are we completely overlooking that fact when trying to assess where we might be right now? Should we have a little bit more faith in his coaching, in the players that we already have at the club and and faith in the fact that they're going to improve? Honestly, I don't really know, uh, but it is something to consider when making your argument for sure. Uh, So we're going to have to wait and see how that plays out. But yeah, five things we've learned from pre-season. Just to summarize uh, once again, uh, number one, Our transfer plans, well, they've definitely gone up the Swanee, haven't they? We haven't been able to shift out the players that we'd like. And subsequently, we haven't been able to bring in the players that we'd like. Uh, Number two is that our fans are already at their end of their tether with Mikel Arteta. Many were towards the back end of last season, and I think now what you're seeing is fans waiting almost to pounce on every mistake that Mikel Arteta and Arsenal make. It's not a great way to start the season in terms of the mood around the club, but the reaction to some of the pre-season results has told me that he he could be On borrowed time if he doesn't pick up results immediately. Number three is that we've got too many right backs at the club. We need to shift some of them. It's as simple as that. And we need to make a decision on who is going to play and who isn't. We thought that Bellerin was headed for the exit. We thought that it was a toss up between Chambers and Suarez and then Bellerin starts. And then when he makes a change, he doesn't even bring on Cedric, who we thought might even start at Brentford. Instead, he turns to Ainsley Maitland now. So two many bloody right backs at the club uh number four we still need to add more variety to our build-up play we need to carry the ball more in those central areas in my opinion i think sometimes that's how you break people down you drive and run with the ball rather than the tiki-taka passing left and right um i think we do have a predictable pattern of play where we move the ball out to the wide areas and teams are finding that quite easy to defend against and number five well Laconga. What a baller. Uh, Really pleased by that signing. I said it at the time. I said it in the lead up to the signing that he was a really big talent and someone we should look forward to uh, seeing in an Arsenal shirt. And I think what we've seen in pre-season so far certainly suggests that. Right. uh, Before we move on, and we're going to take some of your questions, we're going to spend the majority of this show, in fact, taking you guys' questions from the chat box. So make sure you get some of those in if you haven't done so already. Pop a little queue in the chat box so that I can pick them out from the chat easily and get involved. This show is brought to you by manscaped.com. So for all your male grooming needs, head over to their website, Uh, check out the Lawnmower 4.0. It's a great piece of equipment and I promise you, your partner will thank you. Head over and use our discount code, which is 90min20 and you'll receive 20% off as well as free shipping on your order can't go wrong with a bit of manscaped uh (laughs) also if you haven't subscribed to the channel already what are you waiting for get subscribed to the channel because we are edging closer towards that target of fifteen thousand youtube subscribers now when i mapped out last season was it no i mapped out at the beginning of the year where we wanted to get in terms of the podcast uh in terms of numbers wise as we continue to build it and kind of Continue the growth. And I mapped out that I wanted to see us hit 15K subscribers on YouTube by the end of 2021. So we could potentially achieve that. Actually, we will. We should achieve that uh, by the end of August, if not sooner. We're only about 60 subscribers away. So if you are new to the channel, please do hit that subscribe button. It really, really helps. Leave a like on the video. And if you want to go one further and become a member, you can do so as well by clicking on the link in the description. Also, just before we go over to the chat box and take uh, some of your questions, I want to say a big, uh, first of all, thank you for his support of the channel all the time. And that is uh, to our brilliant, uh, brilliant member, Tariq, who is in the chat box all the time, is in the Discord server all the time. Uh, We talk regularly via DMs. He's, He's an absolute... Uh, legend of a guy he's a great guy he's uh he started his own youtube channel called tariq talks and um he's talking about football and listen it is a fantastic channel and he has said to me that he would love to kind of build the kind of community that we've got here where people debate discuss respectfully and uh listen tariq's going to go far he's doing a great thing And uh, what I would love you guys all to do, and I'm going to put the link in the description uh, in uh, just a bit when the video finishes, because I forgot to do it before, I've got to be honest. Uh, But check out Tariq Talks' YouTube channel. It's a brand new channel, and uh, the link is in the description. Support one of our members, get behind him. I know lots of you in the Discord server uh, know him very, very well, and uh, we're all delighted for you, mate. So best of luck with your new channel, and uh, make sure, people, that you check it out. Right. Let's take some of these questions um, or, and some comments as well. We'll take this comment first uh, from Alex McCarthy, who says we have a right to pounce on our teta when it goes bad because he's making consistent mid, uh, mistakes on the field and hasn't learned a thing. Now, That's in response to one of my five things that we've learned. And one of my five things, as I say, I think it was number two. Yep. Number two. Uh, that Arsenal fans are at the end of their tether with Mikel Arteta. And I think fans have got a right to be disappointed with where we currently are and to be frustrated with the way this summer's gone so far. But pre-season results are not the be-all and end-all. And we have to remember that. All I'm saying is that, and I know Alex is not one of these people. Alex is a member of the channel. Alex is someone who we communicate with regularly. But there are a lot of people who, are almost in a place where they're waiting for him to fail. And I'm not going to say I was waiting for Unai Emery to fail, but I did get to a place where I was expecting him to fail towards the end of his tenure. And that's a really horrible place to be in as a fan, because what happens is you're not wanting your team to lose, right? No fan does. Nobody ever wants to see their team lose. But what happens is that you get to a place where you're so... Disengaged and disgruntled with what you're watching every week, that it actually sucks all the fun out of supporting your football club. And I was in that place with Unai Emery, and that's why I wanted him to go so much. Um, with Mikel Arteta, I do think that he's made mistakes. I do think that there have been a lot of decisions that have left me baffled, confused, that I still to this day don't understand. But also, I think that a lot of the issues that he is dealing with right now are issues that are historic ones, issues that have been created by past regimes, by people making poor decisions. For example, uh, you know, some of the players that we're trying to move on, the reason they're on these big mega contracts is not because of Mikel Arteta. It's because they were given those contracts prior to even his arrival. And so not everything is, is to blame on the people of the past. And Mikel Arteta is the manager of the football club. He's not even the head coach anymore. He's the manager has a responsibility to deliver results and take the team forward. But the reason I've been a little bit more patient with him is because of those reasons I've just explained. There are a lot of issues that are historic issues and I don't mind people getting upset and frustrated by performances, by displays, by decisions, uh, by tactical choices when it's justified. The reason I added that point in there is because I, I, you know, I don't care about preseason. I honestly don't like I, I sat there yesterday and watched us lose to Spurs and I couldn't couldn't care less. Like Obviously, in the moment, I was a little bit disappointed, but had we lost to Spurs in the Premier League, it had taken me days to get over it. I'd have been in a foul mood all evening. I wouldn't have wanted to speak to or engage with anyone. And instead, as soon as the game finished yesterday, I turned my TV off, walked down the garden, back into the house and got on with it. Simple as that, because it's a preseason friendly. And I just, I, I find some of the reaction to some of these preseason games has been a little bit OTT. Big hello uh, to uh, Wandering Minstrel. Hello, sir. Hope you are well. Uh, let's take this one from Channel SHU. Arteta said many times last season how he never had a preseason. Now he has and nothing has changed. He dug his grave with that excuse and the fans in the stadium are going to push him on it. Agree? Yeah, um, I do agree that he he used that as an excuse. But for me last season it was a valid excuse because the way things had gone. You know, it was a really shit time in terms of COVID. Football wasn't the same without fans, but equally, you know, he had what, a couple of weeks to turn the team around for the new season. And a lot of people had sympathy for that. And I get that. This time it is different. It's still not been an ideal preseason. Let's be honest. We had a preseason tour planned that had to be cancelled right at the last minute due to a COVID outbreak. And then we had to put fixtures together against local sides um, at the training ground, behind closed doors, etc., etc., And all of a sudden, then we came up against Chelsea and Spurs in the mind series and we just weren't ready, weren't prepared for those games. And look, this is not me defending Mikel Arteta. There is a lot more expectation on him from my side, personally, going into this season than there was going into last season and that's because he's had a full season in charge it's not been ideal but he's not the only manager and Arsenal aren't the only football club or the only set of players that have had to deal with all the COVID restrictions and have had to deal with a change in protocols and a change in uh, the way things are going so I, I do think you're right I do think the fact that he used that as an excuse irritated a lot of people but I do think that there was some validity to it at that point Do I think that 12 months later now? No, I don't. I think that now, it's now or never for Mikel Arteta. This season is huge. It is key. And if he doesn't improve the side and if he doesn't deliver, he should be sacked. You know, I'll say that happily. You know, I'm a big supporter of Mikel Arteta. I think he has got the right ideas, but, you know, you can have the right ideas, but if you can't actually execute that plan, then it's pointless. And, and there will come a time where you need to realize that things don't always go to plan. And it's your adaptability and your um, ability to respond to those situations that defines whether you're a good manager or not. And and we're going to learn a lot more about Mikel Arteta in this coming season. But the pressure is on. And you're right. If you use things as an excuse, uh, you might get away with it once. You might get away with it twice, but you're not going to get away with it regularly. Uh, let's take some more questions. Uh, Darmesh is reporting some news about Liverpool and Sao Niguez. Um, I haven't seen that yet, but we'll talk about that on our prim- upcoming Premier League show. I'm sure if there's any truth in it. Uh, good afternoon to Matt. Uh, a Gunnar's Onyx lens. Have I said that right? That uh, says, question. I'm worried about Partey and these injuries that he never seemed to get at Atleti are you? He is so good. I love to watch him. Yeah, look, it's a massive concern. It was a massive concern last season. It was really frustrating because we'd all kind of jumped on the bandwagon, the hype wagon, if you like it, after Thomas Partey signed for the club. We were all delighted because he was that combative yet classy midfielder that we'd been looking for for years and years and years. And there were people going around saying he was the new Patrick Vieira and that we'd only finally replaced Patrick Vieira. Like, what, some 15 years after his departure, but it it is disappointing that he keeps picking up these injuries. I think what frustrated me about the game against Chelsea last week at the Emirates Stadium was, yes, he needed minutes, so did everybody, but when he went down with that injury, why did we allow him to go back on the pitch and continue? I've talked so much about how preseason friendlies in terms of their results don't really matter, and granted, you know, Mikel Arteta would have wanted to give him minutes uh as many as possible in the lead up to the season he is such an imperative part of this team and especially even more so moving forward that I can't understand why he was allowed to jog back on the pitch and continue and potentially I'm not saying he did but potentially aggravate that injury even more it is a massive concern and when you go and spend 45 million pound on a player And you can't rely on him to, at the bare minimum, stay fit. It's a big, big problem, isn't it? And so when people sit there and they slag off Xhaka and they talk about other midfielders within the club that we have and they say they're not good enough, you know, whether you like them or not, completely killing them confidence-wise and digging them out time after time after time, is not doing us any favours because the reality is we need those players. They're going to be an integral part of our season because of the fact that Thomas Partey is so injury prone, it seems, since he's joined Arsenal anyway. Uh, Don Saki says, what have you seen to justify that Arteta is a good manager? He keeps repeating mistakes. His build up is predictable and it does seem like the job is too big for him. Uh, What have I seen from Arteta to justify that he's a good manager? I think at times, to be fair to Mikel Arteta, he's done very well in uh nullifying opponents. I think he's been very, very good at um making Arsenal difficult to break down, difficult to beat. I think with Mikel Arteta, what a lot of people um kind of say is, oh, you know, he's a B Tech Pep Guardiola. He must be uh taking ideas from Pep Guardiola because he worked with him. And I think what what Mikel Arteta is as a manager, as a football manager is I think he's a bit of an idealist. I think he's got uh, an idea of how he wants his team to play football. And I think that that idea is the right idea, but you can't always execute specifics uh, in the way that you want if your team, your players and those around you are not quite good enough to do it. So what have I seen from Mikel Arteta to justify that he's a good manager? I've seen him tactically get it right in some of our biggest games. When I say biggest games, I mean the games against the other big six. I think he's made us more competitive in that sense. I think defensively, he's improved us. I think what he struggled with is to then find the way a balance, so as which that doesn't affect us in attack. I think that's one of his development areas. I think that he believes in himself. He's very, very confident. I think he's done well to sell the project to some players, coming in, but also to some of the players that are already at the club in terms of persuading them to stay. And I think that he will go on to be a good manager. Sometimes you just get a feeling about someone. My issue with this and, and Mikel Arteta is I'm questioning whether the timing was right now, whether we were in a place where we could afford to take a gamble or to hire someone who wasn't necessarily the finished article himself. And that's my big concern. That's my big disappointment. When it comes to Mikel Arteta so far, I don't have any doubts about the fact that I do think he'll go on to be a good manager, but can Arsenal afford to wait? Another club maybe could, but Arsenal are too big uh, to wait for something like that. Look, there are some positives. There are some negatives. And as I say, I do think that he's been a victim of some bad decisions that the club have made in the past that we're only really now paying for. You know, when Ser Kalasinach came in and he was doing OK under Unai Emery, uh, getting forward down the left-hand side, pulling balls back, which was pretty much Arsenal's main attacking outlet under Unai Emery. Nobody was talking about, say, Kalasinac's contract, and nobody was talking about the fact that we'd overpaid. In fact, it was the opposite. People were saying, we signed this guy from Schalke for free, and he is literally causing our opponents havoc down that left-hand side, getting into good areas, being powerful, being physical, being strong, cutting balls back and picking out players in the middle. And now you fast forward and he's kind of fallen out of favour. Kieran Tini's come in, who's obviously a much better player. And all of a sudden the contract thing comes up again and the wages come up again. And there was the same issue with Mustafi. And there was, you know, it. a lot of these players that we're stuck with at the moment that we can't move on. Like the point I'm trying to make is they're not Mikel Arteta's players. And unfortunately, as I've said before, unless you have the money that some of the other clubs do to be able to turn that around in a short period of time, Moving them all on and then subsequently replacing them is a bit of a process and it does take some time. I know a lot of people are going to be sitting there typing away Harry the Arteta apologist. Harry should be Arteta's lawyer. No, I'm just being fair in my assessment. I've said it time and time again. He's made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes, Um, but I get frustrated and I think a lot of people get frustrated when they see him blamed for ones that weren't necessarily in his control uh matt g says what do you think arteta sees in bayern it's obvious that he rates him highly and doesn't want him to leave well the two obviously had a really close relationship didn't they uh from arteta's time at arsenal as a player Bayerin was a young lad and he went and stayed apparently uh with arteta and his wife for a bit apparently he was a guest at christmas all of that jazz so they obviously have a loyalty to one another I I don't even think that Arteta thinks that Bellerin is that good. I just don't think he particularly rates any of the other options. I think there was a period where we saw Cedric kind of get in ahead of him during last season. I thought he did really well. And then Cedric went to left back, had a couple of questionable games, and then from then on was dropped from the side. And one of the things I do find strange about Mikel Arteta is the way he kind of changes his opinion on players. Like, bang, like Maitland-Niles, not part of the plans, send him out on loan, not interested in him. Then he's involved on Sunday. Bellerin being left out for Chambers, being left out for Cedric, is headed for the exit door. And then the lack of interest, I guess, has maybe changed Arteta's opinion. And all of a sudden, Bellerin's a key part of the side again. Same with Xhaka, quite willing to entertain offers for him. And bang, all of a sudden, he's the most important player in our team again. And he's going to play week in, week out. So it's these U-turns in decisions with Arteta that I do find a little bit strange. Bayern, I don't think he's that great. I just think that he's the best of a bad bunch. And the problem at Arsenal right now is you can say that about a lot of players in a lot of different positions. Alan Kay says, uh, Harry, if Arteta knew he had a limited budget, we didn't address the midfield, which everyone knew was our highest priority instead of paying 50 million for Ben White, although he is good. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it is a good point. And it feels like Arsenal have been doing things a little bit backwards because I'm not saying we didn't need a centre-half. I think Over the summer, I actually came to the realisation a little bit more that that was one of the priority areas, but it's not more of a priority or it wasn't more of a priority, in my opinion, going into the summer than the centre of midfield. So to not see that addressed up until this point has been uh, for sure the biggest frustration. And also, you know, if you've got 50 million that you can throw at a central defender, who, let's face it, has had one season in the Premier League. It is a bit of a gamble. I'm happy that we signed him, and I think he'll go on to be a very good player for us. But it was a bit of a gamble, and you're right. We talk about Nickel being a really risk-averse manager in terms of the way he sets up his teams, in terms of the transfers he makes. Yet, that feels like a massive gamble. Strange. Pete Geary says, Harry, thoughts on Aubameyang? Um, Are you worried about his performances going into the season? Yeah, uh, I am. But I was worried about Aubameyang's performances last season as well. Talked about it time and time again. He just disrupts the balance of the side for me when he plays out on that left flank. We're not getting the best out of him. Equally, we don't get enough out of him in the centre forward position, I don't think at the moment, to justify him starting. Look, it sounds like a really harsh decision, but Aubameyang being left out of the side for me wouldn't be the most outrageous decision in the world now. And if he was left out, I don't think many, or too many anyway, would have major complaints about it. Do I still think there's a top player in there? Of course I do. Is there a a possibility that Aubameyang clicks back into form and returns to scoring goals on a regular basis for Arsenal Football Club? Yes, there is. There's a very good chance of that. And I think that's why Arteta persists with him. The fact that he's the club captain, that the club worked incredibly hard behind the scenes to uh, not only make his contract happen in terms of the monetary side of it but also to persuade him that arsenal was where his future lay and then him to accept that and and commit his future i think is has created this loyalty between the two that Mikel Arteta just feels right now he can't break um is that right for the team i'm not sure i've said it before i think that Mikel Arteta's footballing philosophy has evolved since he's come to arsenal and Aubameyang's game is changing and what you're seeing is a pulling in two different directions that is meaning that Aubameyang is becoming a little bit less relevant uh, at this moment in time. Horrible stuff, in it. it? Uh, Marshall B says, how far into the season is reasonable to lose our collective minds? Uh, five games, 10 games? I think 10 games is a decent barometer in terms of judging, uh, you know, whether Arsenal have made strides forward. I think five games is a little bit harsh, especially when you consider the, the opening fixtures that we have. Uh, Chelsea, Manchester City, of course, both Um, you know, both uh Champions League finalists last season, both of them are going to strengthen significantly in this window. Man City have already brought in Jack Grealish and are rumored to be going after Harry Kane. Chelsea have brought in Romelu Lukaku, which, in my opinion, under Thomas Tuchel was the only thing they were really missing a top, top striker. But as I say, looking at Arsenal's fixtures, trip to Brentford on Friday, uh. Difficult game, Brentford Community Stadium, Brentford's first ever game in the big time. They're going to be buzzing for it. Chelsea, uh, then to follow at home at the Emirates Stadium. Then it's a trip to Manchester City. Then we take on Norwich and Burnley. Um, Norwich at home, Burnley away before the first North London derby of the season in which we face Tottenham Hotspur. So the first five games is, you know, what? First five games of those five games, one, two. Uh, three three of the first six games are against sides uh, that you would say are of the traditional big six. And so I do think five games is not long enough to make a reasonable judgment. I think you can make a judgment and I'm sure we will and we'll talk about it and we'll try and work out what's different, what's not, what's good, what's bad. But I do think that five games in would be too early to be calling for his head. But the reason he's in this position is because of how disappointing last season was. So you can't have that much sympathy for him. Uh, Nayasha says, that. Uh, do you see finishing seventh this season as progression? If not, what do you see as progression? No, for me, progression is finishing in the top six. A good season for Arsenal is finishing in the top six. A good, a very good season will be finishing in the top four. And when I say finishing the top six, I expect us to be competing for the top four. We might well fall short, but I want us to be competitive in that area that's the progression that we need to see. This is Arsenal Football Club. You know, this is not your local club down the road who get three, 4,000 in through the door and you're just happy to be there supporting your local boys. This is one of the biggest football clubs in world football and there needs to be movement forward and there needs to be progression. So for me, progression would be a top six finish. Nothing less than that is acceptable in my opinion. Anything less than that and he should be shown the door. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, Marshall B with an interesting comment says, I think uh, Arteta is actually quite good when he's forced to work instinctively. I think once he has the opportunity to brood and tinker, he gets his own way. Uh, What else have we got? Uh, Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, Rahil says, hey, Harry, what are your predictions for the top four this season and how far off will Arsenal finish? I don't think Arsenal will be in the top four which is a worry. Uh, I think, look, if we're within six to nine points of it, then I think that would have been progression because it's within touching distance. But that is that is the bare minimum. I, I think the top four will be Chelsea, City, United and Liverpool in no particular order. But that's what I expect uh, the top four to be come the end of the season. Uh, what else have we got? Um... Some of you asking me how many points uh, we're going to take from those first five games. and I don't really want to get into that because I want to save it for the season preview that we've got coming out a little bit later on this week. There is uh, lots to get through this week content wise. Uh, we're going to be bringing you so, so much in the build up to the new season. And then, of course, reaction to that game against the. Uh, Brentford on Friday night I had to think about that for a minute my god uh, Matt says Harry why do you think there have been so many pundits and hosts saying Madison moving to Arsenal is a step down uh, strange that so many are commenting on this potential move listen I don't care on what planet you live there is no way that moving from Leicester City to Arsenal is a step down it isn't Arsenal going for a difficult period at the moment granted uh, Leicester City are going through probably the best period uh, that they've ever had but Arsenal is a huge football club. Arsenal has a much bigger appeal than Leicester City does. And I honestly believe that, you know, it's it's pundits wanting to have a go at Arsenal. And we know that there are a number of pundits out there who revel in that. And you know why? Because we've got such a big fan base, because we are relevant in the sense of how powerful our voices are as Arsenal fans. And these people, they like to stir it up. They like to rile Arsenal fans because it keeps them in the public eye. And I genuinely do believe that. Listen, I've been on, national radio shows where i've been asked to change my opinion on something by a producer to to be more controversial and to spark a debate that i don't even think is worth having so i know that that shit goes on and i know that there are a lot of pundits out there who are playing that clickbait game and uh, and want to reel you in and uh, so just uh, yeah try not to fall into it. it as i say matt i don't know about you but for me there's No way that Arsenal and Leicester club wise are even on the same planet. Uh let's go through Raheel's five things. He learned he says one worrying signs with Oba, two same old mistakes, three defending looks worse than last season. Four goal scoring is still an issue. But number five, the new signings look good. Uh, there we go. Uh, what else have we got in the live chat box? Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, Ride dog makes a really good point that the gap to fourth last year was six points. And and I was talking about sort of wanting to be closer to it, it, it distance wise. Yeah. But for me, there's a difference between ending up six points off of the top four and being in the race. Cause I don't think at any point in the season, we ever looked like we were really in the race. I think what happens is towards the end of the season, clubs priorities priority shift, um, those in, that are kind of guaranteed for a top four, or very confident of making it, we'll start to look at some of the cup competitions and how they can progress in there. You'll see drop-offs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I was saying this a few days ago. We were talking about this with um, with uh, with Jake Watson, Leicester City fan. We talked about the fact that the gap isn't actually that big. wasn't actually that big last season, but it's for me. There's a difference in being in the race and then just kind of going under the radar a little bit and closing that gap because you went through a particularly good spell while those who had already done the job maybe dropped off a little bit uh so that's my my take on that but it's a really interesting comment for sure um big hello to Lee Judges TV make sure you head over and check out Lee Judges TV fantastic new channel headed up by the main man himself Lee Judges Dan Potts is on there too. The brilliant Dave as well, doing lots and lots of work behind the scenes. Uh, There was a great show earlier on uh, with Lee Judges and Kevin Campbell. So make sure you check that out if you haven't done so already and give them a subscribe as well. Uh, We'll be getting the lads on here uh, very, very soon. I've been meaning to text them today, actually, and I just haven't got around to it because I've been popping in and out trying to avoid the crazy rain here in North London. Yes, rain in the middle of August. Shit, isn't it? Uh, but make sure you check out Lee Judge's TV. Uh, what else have we got here? A seventy nine says we learned today that Arsenal. That sorry, we learned that Harry feels comfortable on the fence. No, it's it's not even being on the fence, man. Like some people will will take it that way, and you know that's your prerogative. But it's not me being on the fence. I've I've just you know I've spent so much time in the last three four years, like really reading into and and working in the football industry like it's something I'm really privileged to do that I never thought I'd get the chance to do and the way I got into it and the way I built this podcast to what it is today and the way I kind of secured some of the work that I have which I'm very fortunate to have had and you know, there's been some great people that have given me that work is by being quite reasonable in my opinions or at least I think reasonable in my opinions by being able to articulate my points but also looking at the flip side of the argument and so when I share parts from the flip side of my actual belief it's not me sitting on the fence it's me trying to create and paint a rounded picture of what's going on because I don't think you can make proper judgments on, on anything in life unless you see the bigger picture There's multiple sides to every single story. So that's what I'm trying to do. And and that's why I'm not massively confident that Mikel Arteta is going to take us forward. But equally, I'm not standing there shouting for his head because I do recognise, aside from the fact that I think he's made mistakes, that a lot of the mistakes and problems and issues are a hangover from what went before him. So that's all it is. It's not me sitting on the fence. I've got my opinion. I think Mikel Arteta, needs to do it this season, or he's got to go. It's as simple as that. I think last season was too early to judge. It was his first full season. And I gave him some leeway because of all the problems that we already discussed. But there is no more leeway with Mikel Arteta. And I promise you, you won't be hearing that from me if things continue in the same vein. Uh, Zeb says, how was your football the other day? Yeah, it was great. Great to be back on a football pitch uh, for the best part of two, after the best part of two years, man. Um, had a really bad injury about three years ago, four years ago now, maybe, and uh, really lacked the confidence to go back and play again because I was a big uh, footballer in my day in terms of uh, the amount I played. Anyway, we won't go into the rest of it. But yeah, you know, ever since that injury, I have gone back to football. I joined an 11-a side team a couple of seasons ago and I never I never felt comfortable to to play for long periods without feeling twinges in my knee and feeling worried about what might happen if my knee went again. I had an operation on it and it just it not as strong as it used to be. But look, um, got together with some friends and gone back to Fiverr Side and it is a non-competitive, safe environment for me to kind of build that strength back in the leg um, and you know and build my fitness because yeah it's gone uh but yeah so it was great and um that when you play with mates you you can't beat it you know it's it's a great thing from a social perspective but also from a health and fitness perspective as well it's something i definitely needed to do uh so yeah uh looking uh looking forward uh to going back this week hopefully it's not raining by then but who knows uh let's say a big hello to jay i he says hey mate new camera looking good if you need any tech advice Moving forward, give me a shout. We'll do mate. Thank you. Uh Raheel says you're reasonable rather than just screaming, swearing, and shouting, you put your points across calmly. And that's why I enjoy your channel with great tactical insights. Thank you very much. Uh Said says that uh, Harry, sometimes we lack confidence on the ball. What do you think are the reasons behind that? Um, that's a really interesting one because Sometimes I just think it's not the right type of players. Like we don't have the right type of players in some of those positions. And again, like, I don't want to go back to me playing football, but I'm one of those super arrogant players when I play football. Like there's not a, a thing I don't believe I can do. And I nine times out of 10, I can't do it. Like I'll still, but I'll still take a shot from 45 yards. I'll still try and run for a defense when there's five or six players back because first of all, I'm not in a pressured environment, but also I, you know, you. What's the point if you don't try and challenge yourself? And I do think that we've got some players in the group that are willing to do that. For example, I think Emil Smith Rowe is happy to receive the ball on a turn in a tight space and take the ball and drive at people, and that shows the confidence he has in his own ability. I think Nicola Pepe can be the same. I think he's very good in that sense, in that he will just cut in and have a shot if he if he wants to, and he will take um, someone on and he he will do. At times, what looks a bit OTT. And I just think we don't have enough of those players in the attacking areas. We've got far too many players who just want to take a touch, get the ball under control and play it square. And then take a touch and turn and play it the other way. And then take a touch and do the same thing. And sometimes, actually, when you are trying to break down stubborn defences, the only way to do that is by having a bit of confidence and going on a run picking up the ball, driving, doing something a little bit out of the ordinary, a bit outside of the box, something a little bit unpredictable. And I don't think we've got enough unpredictable players in that team at times. Um, What else have we got? Let's take one more uh, question before we wrap it up. Uh, Just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, make sure you've hit that like button. Let's have a quick uh, look at how many of you have uh, done that already because it does really help the channel. There's 245 of you right now on YouTube, but we've only got 64 likes. So let's try and get that up to 100. It only needs 35 more of you. As I said, at the start of this stream, we're around about 60 subscribers away from hitting that 15k mark as well. So if you haven't done that already, please do so. Check out manscaped.com as well. Uh, Our sponsors, we're very uh, thankful to them for all their support of the podcast. And we hope that if you have checked out their products, which I know a lot of you have, uh, that you are enjoying them and you're finding them, um, very useful. Let's take uh, one more question. Fastest finger first, go and get your question in the chat box and I'll pick it out. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, here we go. Uh, this one from Anwesh Mishra. Uh, thank you for your very, very kind, uh, super chat donation. Uh, he says uh, starting Tierney at left centre back and Tavares at left back. Would that be a good option? Interesting, interesting. I think what you've just described there gives us the option, doesn't it, to um, to shift to a back three? I think we could shift to a back three with Tierney being the left sided of the three, and then Tavares playing in that left wing back role. So a bit like Tierney was playing for Scotland. I'm not 100% convinced that Nuno Tavares is a great defender. I think he's really physical. I think he's really raw. I think he's got a lot of talent, a lot of power, and I'd like to see him going forward. I think that's where he can do damage. So I think having three centre-backs behind him and one of them being Kieran Tierney gives you a bit more stability if you're going to use Tavares. And what it also does is Tierney is capable of stepping out and playing as well. And so you can shift that shape around a lot and you can cause your opponent's problems. I think Tierney at left centre-back and Tavares at left-back is good in a back three with wing-backs. I'm not sure that I would do it in a back four with Tierney playing as a traditional centre-back and Tavares playing as a out-and-out left-back. So yeah, it's a good shout and it's something I've talked about before and thought about before. But I think that requires a change of shape, a change of system. What I will say is I wouldn't be surprised if Mikel Arteta does go with a change of shape and a change of system in some of those games, particularly against the big six. Um, And if he does, then that could be an option. And I'm sure it's something he will have considered as well. Right, we are going to leave it there. Don't forget, hit the like button on your way out. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. Just to summarize, before we leave, our five things that we've learned From Arsenal's pre-season. Number one, our transfer plans have gone up this one. Arsenal heavily reliant in moving players out, you feel, this summer. Haven't been able to do that and that has definitely scuppered at some of our plans. That's becoming more and more evident as the window goes on. Number two, the fans are already at the end of their tether with Mikel Arteta. He is hanging by a thread in terms of fan confidence and uh, you can expect that if we start the season in a disappointing fashion, there will be plenty of noise calling for his head. Uh, number three, we've got too many bloody right backs at the club. We are really, really struggling uh, to move some of them out and it's causing us a problem in terms of being able to bring people in, but also it's given Mikel Arteta a lot to think about in terms of who should play. Uh, number four, is that we still need to add more variety to our build-up play. It was a big problem for us last season. It's one I hoped we would rectify, but one that I'm scared we're not going to rectify unless we bring in another creative midfielder. Number five, La Conga is a baller. There you go. Those are five things that we've learned from Arsenal's preseason so far. I hope you've enjoyed the first episode or second episode because we did one last week, but I didn't know I was going to turn it into a series then. Uh, But anyway, hope you've enjoyed the episode of five things and we'll be back very, very soon with more. I'll catch you all soon. Until next time. Take care.